Welcome to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. One of the lessons we learn from the Easter story is that you can't have a resurrection without first having a death. Although no one enjoys the prospect of death, sometimes only through death can new life emerge. Listen to the Easter Sunday message, Beauty from Ashes, as we explore the answers to two important questions. How might Jesus' death and resurrection breathe new life into our lives? And in what areas might we need to die to experience a resurrection? Well, good morning. Uh, All of us have had enemies in our lives, whether we realize it or not, but who or what is our greatest enemy? I know over the years there have been different ones that kind of viewed me as an enemy. The first person that came to my mind as I was thinking about this was a a boy in my neighborhood who threatened to beat me up. He wanted to have a fight. I didn't want to fight him. I, I knew him. I didn't know him well, but he, I knew he lived in the neighborhood, and I don't know why he wanted to fight me, really. I, I have a feeling it's because I was an easy target. In either case, I told him, no, I don't want to fight, but he persisted, and others were around, and so I thought of something. I said, instead of, I'll tell you what, instead of um, having a fist fight, if you wrestle, if you allow us to wrestle, I'll fight you. And so he agreed, and so we set the time, and we were going to be fighting in our front, my front lawn, and he didn't realize that the reason I wanted to wrestle, there were two reasons, really. One of them is that I didn't know how to box at all. I mean, I just really knew nothing about it. But second, there was a particular wrestling move that I had seen on TV through one of those programs like, you know, WWE, you know, the kind of fake wrestling, sorry if I'm offending anyone. But it is a move that I think it worked before on my brothers. It was called the scissors squeeze. And, and what you do is you get your opponent on the ground and you kind of get perpendicular and you put a leg on top and a leg underneath and then you, you take your ankles and you lock them together and then you squeeze with your bony knees. <laughs> and um, he didn't know I, I knew about that move and we started wrestling and then all of a sudden I scooted around, got perpendicular, slid one leg under the other on top, locked my ankles and began to squeeze. And he, he was trying to pull off my legs but... My legs were stronger than his arms. He could not do it. And every time he tried, I squeezed even harder. And then I said, do you say uncle? (laughs) I don't know where that expression came from. (laughs) Uncle. And finally he said uncle. And I, I had won the fight and I never had to deal with him again. Now, I don't know if he was a real enemy. I, I, I just I don't know what happened there even. But when I went to high school, I did view that some of the students that were there were enemies. I viewed some of them as as being my enemies. And from day one, I was dealing with some of these kids. Now, thankfully, they they never touched me. And I was so glad after the end of my freshman year of high school, we moved to the Chicago suburb of Downers Grove, and, and then the next three years at high school weren't bad at all. I didn't have any of these issues. But then I got into the workplace. And I've had over the years some enemies in the workplace. I wasn't their enemy, but there were people that did not like me. I had two bosses that probably fit in that category. One of them hated Christians, period. And I don't know why he hired me, because I was the only employee, and he knew my dad was a pastor and everything, but he just hated Christians. And the other one was just a guy that I think he hated everybody. I worked for a manufacturing company. 
He was my boss, but he hated everybody. Everybody hated him. It's just I had to work with him. So I did my best to try to avoid him. But the worst enemy, maybe, or the most dangerous enemy I had, or I've had over the years, was that somebody threatened to take my life, threatened to kill me. And the FBI took the threat seriously, and they sent, and this was years and years ago, but they sent an agent here to sit out and watch and keep an eye on me. I didn't know that they did that. I had some letters that were expressing that someone wanted to kill me. I had given those to the police. I didn't realize the FBI got involved. And then one day I was walking out, and a young man signaled me over, and I began to talk to him. He said, I just want you to know I'm with the FBI. And he said, I've been sitting here uh, taking care of things, making sure you're okay. And he said, I know the threat's over, but the church changed my life so, so much. He said, I've been coming ever since. I mean, long after the, the guy was arrested and everything else, he continued to come, and his life was changed through the church. He eventually got promoted, and he moved out of town. But we all have enemies, and some of them you may not be aware of. For example, in the Bible, one of the enemies that every person here, I believe, has is, is Satan and his what I call minions. They hate the descendants of Adam and Eve. They hate us. If a person is not a Christian, we read that the, the devil tries to keep them from putting their faith in Christ. He wants to make sure that that person doesn't get connected with Jesus. And if it's someone who is a Christian, he tries to sideline them so they can't have an effect. But he's, he's an enemy. And some of you are thinking, you're telling me the devil's a real being, like a person type thing? Yes, Jesus believed that. And Peter wrote about this. We have a, 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 Satan is like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. The Apostle Paul said our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And he was talking about this, this realm that we can't see, our enemy, the devil, and, and his host. But is Satan our greatest enemy? I don't think so. There's another enemy that I think is our greatest enemy. Enemy, and it's referred to in the Bible as the last enemy that's going to be destroyed. What is that enemy? It's found in 1 Corinthians 15, 26 and 27. The last enemy to be abolished is death. For God has put everything under his feet, whose feet? Jesus' feet. One day death is going to be no more. It's going to be completely destroyed. It will not exist anymore. Now in the meantime... Once you understand that even though death is around, if you are a Christian, it has been declawed. It has lost its power over your life. Now, that might surprise you, but Jesus said something quite remarkable to a woman named Martha, who was one of his closest friends. Martha had a brother named Lazarus who died. Jesus was going to raise him from the dead. But Martha and Jesus had a conversation before they went down to the tomb. And in John eleven twenty five 25 and 26, we read, Jesus said to her, to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. It's that last sentence. It's, it's really kind of remarkable if you think about it. I mean, what does he say? Everyone who lives... That includes uh, you all, includes me. Everyone who lives, 
and believes in me will never die ever. Now suddenly it's like, wait a minute, Christians die all the time. What do you mean? No, the truth of the matter is you, you will never die if you're a Christian. Now, part of the answer to this is understanding even what death is, because we have the wrong idea what death is. But for a Christian, what happens is we go from life to life. You put your faith in Jesus Christ, and, and it's not like you die. You just, you, it's just a, you just transfer into this new thing. And it's not exactly death. Now, to help us understand this, how you really go from life to life, how you really don't die, again, I think it comes down to understanding what death is. Recently, I was speaking at this uh, event related to Easter, and one of the verses I used was Romans 6.23. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, this is a very important verse because it shows that if you need to deal with the death problem, you've got to deal with the sin problem. But three words were used here, the wages of sin is death. So let me talk about each briefly. What is a wage? Well, it's what you earn. When you get a paycheck, you're not surprised. You say, I earned it. You know, that's what you've earned. What have we earned because of sin? Well, the wages of sin is death. Well, let's look at the second word. What exactly is sin? It means to miss the mark. It was a word that was used in biblical times to describe an archer who would aim at a target and miss. We've all missed the mark. All have sinned. We all fall short of God's standard of righteousness. We sin with our words. We sin with our thoughts. We sin with our deeds. And sometimes it's, we, we don't realize we're sinning. You know, it's possible to sin against God and not know it or sin against another person and you don't realize you did it. But oftentimes... We deliberately sin. We know something is wrong. Everyone in this room is guilty of this. I've been guilty of this. I knew it was wrong. I did it anyway. And so what's the wages of this sin? That, of course, we're all stuck in the same boat here. The wages of sin is what? Well, it's death. Now, I want to note something about that verse. And I didn't... This is the first time this week is the first time I noticed it. And I've been reading my Bible for years. But Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. What's weird about that is that it doesn't say the wage of sin is death. Why is it plural? And then it uses is. The wages is death. Why isn't the wages are death plus plus whatever? You know what it is? Death has more than one type there are in the Bible three kinds of death, not just one, and all three we earn because of sin. Now, first of all, what exactly is death? It's important to understand this. Death is not an end. When we think of death, you know, you say goodbye to someone, they pass away, and we think, oh, that's the end. No, death is not an end in the Bible. It is a separation. It's always a separation, regardless of whether it's physical death spiritual death, or eternal death. They're always a separation. So what is physical death? It's a separation of the soul from the body. So a person dies, well, the soul goes someplace and the body stays behind. It's a separation that takes place. And it's one of the wages or consequences of sins. What is spiritual death? Well, spiritual death is a separation of people from God relationally. 
Isaiah the prophet captured the idea well in Isaiah 59 too. He said, your iniquities or sins have built barriers between you and your God. And your sins have made him hide his face from you so that he does not listen. One of the other versions of the Bible specifically says your sins have made a separation between you and your God. Now this particular type of death was illustrated in the first book of the Bible. When Adam and Eve sinned, what happened? We find them hiding from God. That's spiritual death. A gap, a separation, a gulf. They walked with God. They enjoyed fellowship with God, and then they sinned, and what happened? Adam, where are you? They're hiding someplace. All of us are in that same boat right now, by the way, and some of you can even sense it, like there's a gap between me and God. You know, something's there, and that's called spiritual death. And then eternal death is a separation of people from God for eternity. If the, if the sin or if the, the, the issue of your relationship with God is not restored in this life, if that separation, that gap is not fixed in this life, namely by removing sin, it just continues into the next life. That's, that's why it's eternal death. I mean, if you don't fix the problem in this life, it, you just, it just carries on with you into the next. And the reason that, that people end up then in this place that's called hell is because their sin is still attached to them, kind of like a disease, and they're disqualified from heaven, and so they're just in this other place. But the wages of sin is all three, physical, spiritual, and eternal death. Jesus came along and claimed to be the answer. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will not die. You'll live. What is Jesus claiming? He was claiming to fix the gaps. He wants to fix the gaps. That's why he came to die for us, to fix the gap between us physically, spiritually, and eternally. He wants to repair those gaps. What does it mean physically? If you're a Christian, you get a new body and a glorified one like Jesus had. I just love the fact that Jesus could pop into a room. <laughs> he just had his glorified body, you know? You'll get one of those one day if you're a Christian. The, the gap has been merged. You're getting a new body. Spiritually, the gap is closed the moment you put your trust in Christ. The Bible talks about the fact we were enemies of God, but then Christ comes along and we become friends, and then that carries on for all eternity, and Jesus came to fix all of this to offer us eternal life. And it's because Jesus solved the problem. He dealt with these enemies. Dr. Jameson writes, Satan brought in sin, and sin brought in death, but they shall be destroyed and in the same order. In the Bible, we read about the, the destruction of all three of them, and I'll talk about that, what that looks like in a minute. But it is what the Easter story is about. When Jesus rose again from the dead, he defeated all three, and he made it possible for us then to have eternal life. Now, I want to talk in a minute here about how we get this. I mean, what do you need to do? What's our response to this in order to have eternal life? But before I talk about this, I want to mention one other enemy that people have. Many people believe that God is their enemy or they are enemies of God. And when they think about God, that's how they think of it. Some people have trouble believing God could possibly love them. Some people can't stand God because he didn't maybe answer a particular prayer or something bad happened to them and they turned against God. There's some people that think that their sins are so bad that God can't accept them 
And, and so people are in this position of viewing themselves as enemies of God. That's an unlikely enemy. What I want us to understand today is that that's not the heart of God. The heart of God is to be your friend. The heart of God is to show love and to restore all this brokenness. That's why Jesus came, to fix all this brokenness. And we'll talk in a minute again how that happens. But he offers this invitation to all of us And the invitation is basically this, regardless of what you've gone through, where you are, he says, come as you are. Spring is such an amazing time of year. I just love driving around. These trees that all winter long look dead. I mean, it just looked dead, and suddenly you begin to see life. You begin to see the pink and the white and the green sprouting from the trees. And then this time of year, you begin to see plants emerging from the ground like from a grave. It's a wonderful time of year to think of this Easter stories of this resurrection. Jesus Christ defeated our greatest enemies, and he did it in a remarkable way. With each one, he fought and won. For example, how did he defeat Satan? He did it by being tempted in every way like you and I are, yet without sin. That's how he did it. He was tempted, but he went the distance, and he lived a sinless life so he could be a sacrifice for us. That's a big deal because you realize that the tactic that the devil used against Adam and Eve in the garden was exactly that. He knew if he could tempt them to sin against God, death would come into the world. And it worked with Adam and Eve, but it did not work with Jesus So then Satan stepped it up a little bit and had the people, the children of Adam and Eve, people crucify Christ, the Son of God, our Creator. You know, the Gospel writer John says, Jesus is the one who created us. And and again, he turned then all of humanity against their Creator, just like he did in the Garden of, of Eden. But then Jesus rose again from the dead, and he won And one day, the devil will get his eternal destiny. Jesus overcame sin. All of the sin of the world was placed upon Jesus, almost like if you could grab it in a huge container, a massive container, and bury it with Jesus in the tomb, he broke through. Sin and Jesus both went in the ground. Only one of them came back up again because Jesus dealt with it squarely, fully, He accepted upon himself the full penalty for everything you've done wrong. This is why he can offer, by the way, forgiveness as a free gift to you. He paid a tremendous price, and he overcame sin, and he didn't succumb to it. It succumbed to him. And then, of course, the very resurrection itself shows that he looked death in the face, and he rose again from the dead. Now, if Jesus again had not risen from the dead, none of these enemies would be defeated, but Jesus did. And Jesus told his disciples ahead of time that this was all going to happen. And even the story itself is what I would call a paradox. This entire story is is a paradox. According to a a website called literaryterms.net, a paradox is a statement that contradicts itself or that must be both true and untrue at the same time. Paradoxes are quirks in logic that demonstrate how our thinking somehow goes haywire, even when we use perfectly logical reasoning to get there. Jesus used a paradox when he said to Martha those words, even if you die, you'll live. Those who believe in me, even if they die, 
will live. How is that possible? And Jesus used another paradox with his disciples right before he was arrested. It's found in John 12, 23 to 25. He said these words, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I assure you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces a large crop. And then he went on to say, the one who loves his life will lose it, and the one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Now, Jesus' comments began with, it's time for me to be glorified. But then the very next sentence is about a death, a seed dying. And you say, how could both be true? It was the path to glorification. See, Jesus entered this world not to set up some kind of religion. He came to defeat all of our greatest enemies, to open the way for us. It would be the path of glory, to defeat devil, the devil and sin and death. And he offers eternal life for us. But how do we get this life? Well, Jesus told Martha, I read the verses earlier, but let me read them again. We read, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die ever. Do you see what the connection is? It's faith. It's putting our trust in Jesus Christ, and it's because of who he was and is. Do you understand the claim he was making when he said, I'm the resurrection and the life? I mean, all of us have to wrestle with that question. Is Jesus really the source of life? Is he the resurrection? A scholar by the name of Jameson requotes Jesus' words this way, the whole power to restore, impart, and maintain life resides with me. I can give you life because I'm the source of life. And death couldn't hold him in the grave because he is the author of life. And he wants to offer that to us as well. So putting all this together, we realize that all of us have sinned, and the result of this is death, physical, spiritual, and eternal death. And these were our enemies, but Jesus died. And Jesus told his disciples ahead of time, it works like this. A seed is planted in the earth. It looks dead, but it won't bear fruit unless it's buried and comes back up. Jesus was again presenting a paradox. He was saying, this is what's going to happen. He was, he was explicitly saying, I am going to die, but through my death, many will live. Many will have eternal life through my death. And it comes through putting our trust in Christ. And so in 1 Corinthians 15, 55, we read about death, and it says this, death, where's your victory? Death, where's your sting? It's almost mocking. Like, death, where's that victory you, you're talking about? It's so, it's, where's your sting? It's not there. And then in verse 57, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. God is asking one response of us. It's faith. It's belief. It's John 3.16. God still loved the world. He gave his only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish, will not suffer eternal ruin, but instead will have eternal life. Has there come a point in your life where you put your trust in Christ? Now, in a minute, I'm going to close with a prayer that I want to invite you to pray. It's not the prayer that saves or gives eternal life. It's the faith behind it. You're turning to the author of life. You're turning to the one who conquered death and putting your trust in him to save you or deliver you. And so I want to offer this prayer in a minute, and if it expresses what's in your heart, I encourage you to pray it in your own heart to God.
But let me offer one other application for those of you that are, are, you know, you know where you stand with God. Jesus said that he was going to be like the seed that would be planted and, and it would bear much fruit. He talked about the fact unless it dies, you know, it remains by itself. Have you ever had seeds in your garage or something and they look so dead? As long as they're sitting there, there's no life, you know, and there's no benefit to it. But the moment you bury it, and suddenly there's a crop. And Jesus said he was going to do that so that we could have life. But then he challenged his disciples with these words. He said, the one who loves his life, as my disciples, if you love your life, you'll lose it. The one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And he was laying out a, a path for us to follow. That if we're believers in Christ... The Christian life is about dying then to ourselves. He gives us, of course, salvation as a gift. But he calls his disciples to lay down their lives, and it's for lots of things. For example, if there are things in our lives that we know aren't good, sinful habits, things that don't please Jesus Christ, and we know it, then we die to those things. We say, I want to live for Jesus, and therefore I'm going to die to this thing over here. It could be dying to lots of things in this world, which is hard to do. Because this world's got all kinds of philosophies, it's got all kinds of morals, it's got all kinds of ideas, it's got values that it says are important, and they're contrary to what God says in his word. Are we going to live in that world, or are we going to live for Christ? John wrote, don't love the world or the things of the world, because if you do, the love of the Father's not in you. There's not the capacity to love both. We've got to die to those things. And probably the greatest way in which we die is by serving others, by saying, this is what I want, but I'm going to lay down what I want for you. I'm going to sacrifice my time, my energy to serve you. And God calls all of us to be ones who then lay down our lives as we go about our Christian lives. So let me close uh, with this prayer. I'd like to invite you to to, uh, close your eyes. And I just want to offer a prayer you can pray in your heart to God. Again, it's not the prayer that saves, but it's, it's an opportunity for you to acknowledge your sin condition and turn to Jesus. Something like this, dear God, I know I've sinned and I need a savior. I need to be rescued. And I do believe Jesus is who he claimed to be and that he died on the cross in my place and for what I've done wrong. And he took the penalty for me. He died for me in my place. But that he rose again from the dead, demonstrating that you had accepted the payment on my behalf. And so today I receive Jesus as my Savior. I welcome him to save me. I put my trust in him. Today I claim the promise in John 3 where you said, whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For I come to you in Jesus' name and because of what he did for me. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. If you'd like to hear more messages now, you can check out our past series at theridge.church slash messages or download the free Ridge app. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next time.